Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Welcome, welcome. Um, today's podcast guest has a book coming January 9th. We're mm-hmm. recording this. Uh, actually, you know what? I will. I haven't looked at a calendar, but I'll make this the first episode of the new year. So it'll be right before the book comes out um, in December. I am just sharing snippets of my own book and reflections I now have two years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Ta-da, you now have a date. I will make this the first episode of the new year and your book will come out right after that. So Amazing, thank you. Wonderful, (laughs) awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Abigail Rose Clark has a book out coming out called Returning Home to Our Bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, we've known each other for a long time in ins and outs in different ways and connections. Um. I know you were one of the cool kids and you were like a cool senior when I was a dorky eighth grader in high school. Look at that. <laughs> and, now, and now you're the the cool. Uh, uh, we're both cool. Yeah, we are. I love it. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it was really just the release of this book that finally got me to invite you onto the, onto the show. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started my work, there was a lot of like, what's happening in our mind, what's happening in our brain. As I continue new certifications, new coaching, using new tools for myself, mm-hmm. um, um, I'm learning more and more about that body connection. And um, and that's what I feel like you are such an expert in. So I would like you to introduce yourself to the guests today in whatever way feels good for you for this audience. Um, okay. Rather than read a bio, I'd rather you just say like, this is me today. And yeah, then we'll go great. from there. Awesome. Uh, well, as I was just telling you, I'm quite literally landing after a month away at my home with the people who have become family to me in central Mexico. Yeah. Um, I was there um, visiting my goddaughter who I, de- I uh, devoted. I dedicated the book to her. Devoted is oh, also a good goodness. word. Um, yeah, she's seven. She just turned seven. She's just so awesome. Mm. And we had a whole month of just so many adventures and going to the river and the ocean and making art and just getting to like, it's so cool to, um, you know, I don't, I don't have kids and I don't plan on having kids, but I take the role of godmother really seriously. And it's so beautiful to just see her becoming, you know, like just really, and now get to, at her age, get to, um, like learn from her also. Like she knows, she knows so much about the wild, like she's a really incredible naturalist. She knows so much about iguanas and parrots and lizards. And she's got the sharpest eyes you could ever imagine. So anytime we go out into the, into the nature together, she's always pointing out something that I might otherwise miss. So I'm quite literally arriving. Like my desk is a bit 
chaotic. I've got packages, including a box of the of my actual book that I will unveil after we finish. I like so realized exciting. that it was <laughs> I know I was setting up for this and then I realized I was like, oh, that's what this is. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. So um so I'm just coming back from that, but uh and and I feel, you know, like a lot of feelings around having left my heart child, you know, like, I mean, I'm so grateful. And also it's, it's, it's bittersweet to not, I won't see her for a few months. And, um, but I'm back here in Shelburne, Massachusetts, where, you know, we grew up and, uh, getting ready for my book to come out now in less than a month. Um, I'm a somatic, uh, facilitator and I've been doing that in some form or another for over a decade, it's getting to be actually more like two decades. Yeah. And, um, cause that's just wild when you think. When that I, is when wild I, that we could even use that language. I know. Like when I realize how old I am, like I, like when I meet a 20 year old and there's a part of me that's just like, like a 20 year old that I knew when they were a baby. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But like, but like we're, I'm that age. <laughs> I, know. I know we were on a college campus this week and I, there's still a part of me that thinks they're all older than us. <laughs> they're babies. I know. I gave like a talk. My kid is I, older than that. And I'm like, oh. yeah, it's weird. I gave a talk at, um, at a, at the university of Guadalajara in Mexico. And I was there and I was just like, wait a second, this is weird. <laughs> this is a really weird feeling. Uh, um, so you've been but, doing this work for a for a while two decades exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and so yeah my book is now coming out and it is really exciting to uh you know as you know writing a book is a very personal process you're mm-hmm. very like mm-hmm. it, like you have to you know shut the world out and just go in and you know I have ADHD so I really had to put some very like very big buffers out against the world to like not distract me yeah and now, and the thing is too about writing a book is that it's a unilateral conversation that you're trying to sort of, I mean, at least I, I'll, I'll use the first person. I was really trying to intuit and imagine like, what would the questions be? Like, am I making sure that this is clear for someone who doesn't have the same level of experience as me? Am mm-hmm. I, am I making sure that my words can't be taken in the wrong way since I'm talking about things like race and, uh, and yeah. gender and sexuality and things like that? And so having a unilateral conversation, knowing that at some point you would be out in the world on its own without me, and now getting to live into that time when it's starting to be out in the world without me, like people have been getting advanced reading copies and I'm giving talks now on, on the book. And, um, and it's just, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that some, not the book's not going to be for everyone. Some people are really gonna, are not going to like it. And I have to, you know, be ready for that, of course. Yeah. But mostly it's just been so cool to see how people are being drawn towards this idea of the body as nature and somatics as a guide and also a comfort in these really difficult times. And I'm not the only one offering these ideas by no stretch of the imagination. In fact, these ideas have been being offered by, by people for millennia. And I credit uh, indigenous scholars and culture keepers and black feminists and writers with helping me come into an understanding of my own body. Um, But it's just, I'm seeing how it's like, like there's like this capillary action, you know, like when you see like a plant start to pull water up into itself through capillary Mm. action, it feels like this idea that we can return to the home of our own bodies and the home of the earth it feels like there's these like little roots reaching out to find this source of life and then is like pulling it up into um, a very thirsty culture, especially right now when 
we are in this just horrifying um, space of confronting just how cruel humans can be and how cruel, um, you know, how the, the, the horrors of war. Um, So I feel really grateful to be able to offer these ideas and also very like just a little bit like, wow, I'm so grateful that these ideas don't feel like they're mine, that they just feel like these are a, that this is some, some way that I can offer a certain perspective on something that is not just only mine because it's such a big conversation. So um, yeah, that's, that wasn't a, an exact bio, <laughs> but well, I think we can go more interesting yeah. reading an exact bio. <laughs> this is why I do it that way. <laughs> Um, if, if anything comes up along the way, I'm sure you will say like, you know, this is a part of who I am too. And that's how I landed. Um, for the listeners here, um, there is very often a disassociation from the body that happens Mm -hmm. around abortion. Now Mm -hmm. we know that some people have abortions simple act of healthcare, move on, never think about it again. My listeners here have a complexity around like, I'm super grateful. I had access, just giving some examples, had access to this procedure. And I'm also really sad. And how does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I feel like I made the decision for someone else. And now I don't Mm. know how to live in my own body again. There's Mm. like these mixed feelings and this complexity of emotion and this like, being human experience yeah. <laughs> that comes yeah. up. But um, in the literal sense of the title of your book, um, the healing after abortions is this coming back to ourselves mm-hmm. and coming back to, um, to nature, to like what it really means to be human, to be here, to be yeah. um, living in this world with other creatures and other humans and other plants (laughs) yeah um so one of the things I said to you before we started recording is like even just this word somatic like can we Mm -hmm. start there can you describe what someone means when they introduce the word somatic to a conversation like what is what's what's this word well I can't say what someone else means because it has become such a buzzword. I will say that it it always means something having to do with the body because somatic, the root of the word is actually comes from the Greek soma, meaning of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, you know, there's somatic cells in your body. There's a somatic nervous system. Like if you're reading into an anatomy book or or a book on anatomy and physiology, you're going to come across the word. Um, What I've been teaching somatics for much longer than it's been a buzzword. So I've lived through this really interesting sort of cultural sea change where, you know, first no one knew about it and really just really didn't understand it. And now it just feels like everyone assumes that it's something like almost like synonymous with mindfulness and meditation and, um, and in some ways, you know, it, it is, and it be often used that way, but I find it to be just like, a, uh, uh, there's a, there's a important difference. Um, in my book, I refer to it like, you know, if we take like a, a chunk of lapis lazuli or mm. lazuli, and then a mm-hmm. chunk of turquoise, and we describe them both as blue stones, we're technically mm-hmm. right, but we're also missing mm-hmm. a lot of the nuance about what they really are. And I see yeah. mindfulness as as one kind of blue stone and somatic embodiment as another kind of blue stone. That's a great because, example. yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, 
somatics to me, I take it to mean not only of the body, but really significantly of the whole body. Mm. When you look at a word like anatomy, anatomia comes from the Latin to cut up into pieces. So anatomy means to cut up into its parts. Yeah. And that's been really important. Like, you know, Western medicine is, you know, we were just like to be able to have access to life-saving procedures uh, is a wonderful thing. And especially in this day and age, I do not want to be misconstrued as someone who is saying that Western medicine is wrong or that we can heal the body by just, you know, feeling our feelings or something like that. Right. Cause I'm not, I'm not interested in, in being pulled into a conversation and being, having my words used that way. Um, I think Western medicine has so much to offer and is so, and is so astoundingly beautiful when you look into it. And it is focused on parts and pieces and systems. Yeah. So somatics learns from anatomy. Like, you know, I have a huge stack of anatomy books that I love to read through. Um, but it's really focused on the whole experience of the whole body. And then even though, and I want to say that if you're, if listeners are hearing this and then they start, and then if they like, you know, use the hashtag search or start getting onto, you know, like somatic TikTok or something, it's going to feel somatic like <laughs> it's, it's a thing, yeah. um, but uh, it's going to start to feel like, oh, I guess somatics means nervous system. Cause that's how it often is. Mm-hmm. used. Oh, this is how you can balance your nervous system, heal your nervous system. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And I find that some people are making some claims that are maybe a little bit less than scientifically backed. And also while the nervous system is important, it's not the whole body. Like there's more to us than just the nervous system. It's an important part, but it's only a part. So somatics to me is a a reckoning with the fact that we're whole bodies, that there is no way to isolate any experience or any part of ourselves, that anything that happens to us happens to all of us. Mm. And there's promise in that. And there's also challenges in that, like for what you're talking about with abortion, Mm -hmm. especially in a culture like ours that treats miscarriages and abortions as both like shameful topics that don't get talked about um, when there's so much fraught um, politics and and fear, like real um, and valid fear around these like, you know, healthcare procedures and lots of misinformation, et cetera. And then we're also a culture that just doesn't really have a lot of experience with helping each other through grief. It's just not really, it's not our, it's not our strong suit. Right. Or like, like, you know, someone's grieving. Oh, let me give them some space. Right. When really like when you're in grief, you need someone like you need people there, but somehow for some reason we tend to think like, Oh, let me give them some space. They're having a hard time. Right. But then also if we're, you know, like I was just talking with a friend who's newly pregnant, she wants, and she's going to keep the baby, but she was talking about how, oh, no one, like, you know, she just had miscarriage recently and she was worried about maybe like sharing the news too soon or anything like that. And she decided to share it because she's like, well, but I don't want to have to go through this alone. I'm not going to share it publicly, like with my whole Facebook audience, but I am going to share my closest friends so that that way I don't have to tell them why I'm sad if, if it, if I do lose the baby, but there's this, like this fear feeling that you're not supposed to talk about it. Right. That like, that it has, and it's supposed to live over there, kind of isolated out. Um, even just the way that we approach, you know, full-term pregnancies where like, oh, you get these like four weeks to come back to yourself and then off to work you go. This kind of like segmenting off and isolating off. 
Somatics to me is this really helpful guide into how we can start to break down those false barriers and realize that anything that happens to any part of me is going to have an effect on the whole of me. So that means that, you know, and that goes both ways. So if I feel soft and held and healed in some small part of me, I might not be instantly healed of all of the various layers of trauma that I carry, but it is a way it's an inroad, right? And the opposite is also true. If I have an unprocessed grief or an unprocessed trauma, medical trauma, um, or any kind of trauma, then that's going to have an effect on all of me. So somatics is this invitation in my, in my, the way that I use it, it's an invitation to return to the whole of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that means also the whole of the world, because you can't isolate yourself off from what's happening. Like right now in New England, we're thankfully not surrounded by bombs and war right but we know it's happening and so if I pretend like it's not happening or like it's somehow like an isolated part then that's really just it's 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 fragmenting myself right rather than holding it as part of what we are currently going through yeah yeah not currently but what we've been going through honestly I didn't write it down maybe you'll remember how you said it um an invitation into all of me. Mm. You remember how you said it? So probably something like that. Yeah, like an invitation yeah. into like the whole. Anything of me. that happens, right, to me, mm-hmm. positive, negative, neutral, somewhere on the spectrum, is an invitation into what's happening in all of me. However, you said it that I will listen back to when I listen. <laughs> um, is actually very much a way I talk about abortion, right? Like Mm. when we go through an abortion, it's this opening, right? It's this like invitation for us to look at all parts of our life, all parts Mm -hmm. of our um, experiences, all parts of the way we relate to people, the way we like tell ourselves stories, tell other people's stories. Um, I love the language you said, like, um, Anything that happens to us happens to all of us. And this happened to me with a client this week who came, I'll use this as an example and you can offer your reflections. Um, She had her abortion a year ago and she said, since then I have had six rounds of pneumonia. Mm. Now, from my perspective, I know that like those systems are connected, like everything's connected. That grief is like, directly related to your lung system and like just because the abortion was anatomically a different part of you and the like there's the physical part of that and then there's the emotional part of it it's all connected like does that mean um had she not had the abortion she wouldn't have had six rounds of pneumonia no we don't know that (laughs) but we can be curious about it, right? It's an opportunity to be curious, like how are these things connected? Right. How in tending to and caring for my lungs, am I also tending to and caring for what's happened in my womb and what's happened in my emotional space? Like Mm -hmm. um, what are your reflections? And because this, that story is not uncommon right right people move through um an abortion and it triggers other health issues Mm -hmm. um what kind of reflections come up for you when when you think a story like that 
I really appreciate that you phrased it as being curious about it because yeah, like we don't, we don't need to make these leaps that I feel like are really common to be made, especially in the like wellness and holistic health spaces where it's like, Oh, the abortion caused the pneumonia. We don't need to make that kind of a leap, but we can look at the whole of her experience and say, wow, okay, you had an abortion and now you've had, you've had pneumonia six times. That's, that's a lot, right? There's something like there is, um, there's a need for care present. So, and of course, and like, you know, with the little I know about Chinese medicine and how they say that, you know, grief lives in the lungs, that does seem to point to a direction, but I really appreciate what you're saying about being curious where we can, you know, rather than saying, oh, this is what happened. You got an abortion. So now you got pneumonia. Um, And then, you know, two rounds of telephone later, abortions cause pneumonia or something like, I mean, (laughs) it's just like, um, but instead be like, good example, (laughs) (laughs) but instead be like, okay, clearly from, from many anecdotal and even some scientific research, there's, 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 there's direction pointing us to the towards the idea that uh, a procedure like an abortion is not just a simple like oh it's just that's just done now right that there is something that seems to happen maybe for some people it is a really simple thing like you were saying some people have a really simple experience with it but um, to open up a conversation around okay any whatever your experience is is a valid experience because this is because this is a real that you're in a body that's having a valid experience. Your experience is valid. Yeah. yeah. And so holding curiosity around it to me feels really like an invitation and an opening, especially because, you know, for all of the beauty that Western medicine offers, it's, it's very unlikely that she could go and get some sort of, you know, affirmation that, Oh yeah, this is related. But from, uh, from her experience within a body, she might find that it really is related. Right. And so, yeah, there's just, um, but I think more than anything, it's, it's this, uh, the curiosity is an invitation to remember that the idea that we fragment ourselves off into, oh, this happened and this has nothing else, nothing to do with the rest of my experience. Right. Yeah. And I think like it's a good place to look at isolating and fragmenting, not being useful because something like an abortion may, may, um, be associated with a lot of grief for you but Mm -hmm. that's not even the grief that your body Mm -hmm. is reacting to it may be the grief of losing your mother when you were six it may be Mm -hmm. the grief of um some trauma you experienced as a teenager like to not make those assumptions like you said two rounds of telephone tag Mm -hmm. later an abortion causes pneumonia (laughs) it's like that curiosity of like okay well this you know let's look at this and see what's under that and what else is it connected to and if these were linked by some other road um yeah letting our bodies be a like almost um the symptoms of our bodies the feelings of our bodies the sensations of our bodies the illnesses of our bodies be an invitation to explore yeah yeah yeah, I really, uh, uh, a practice that I do with clients is, um, you know, just within a somatic meditation is sometimes to just to look through to where and the, where the body is asking for some attention and then see what the body wants to share. And I remember one client, she had yeah. lost her dad to cancer and she was having a really hard time crying about it. Like she, there was a block to the grief 
in part because the cancer was yeah. really um, aggressive and fast acting. And there's, there's trauma to being yeah. a caretaker to, to your parent when, when they're going through that. So she couldn't, she couldn't process the grief. She couldn't find it. And when we went through a somatic meditation in her body, she found that it was in her knees. Like that was where like her knees were holding some of the pain and grief and fear when we went into the body in that way and like let invited the body to speak, to speak to her. Now she was able to listen and a lot of emotion was able to process through. Yeah. And um, it didn't make like sense. You know, there wasn't even, I, I mean, I that. don't, yeah, I don't even yeah. have, like, there wasn't even like something where I'm like, oh yeah, lungs, grief, like something like that. It was just like, okay, I don't know why it is that you found it in your knees, but let's give the body some opportunities to speak to you about why that might be. And it might just be, a, it might become just a metaphor that doesn't have to, it doesn't have to make sense when I'm inviting people to explore yeah. what their body is saying to them. I re- often remind them but this doesn't have to make sense. You don't have to look for, uh, we're not, we're not in the realm of science in the way of cause and effect. We're not looking for cause and effect. We're, we're in the realm of poetry where it doesn't have mm. to be this, like a causes B it's just like, I, the image of this comes alive in the image of that. Mm-hmm. And that's our freedom as poets. Right. Yeah. But we have to make sure that we're not making these weird you know, associations of saying, oh, this, we're going to take the poetry and now force it into a scientific model. Yeah. We don't have to do that. The words that that jumped out at me as you were speaking is like, I don't need to know. I need to notice. And I don't Mm. even need to notice because we don't need to do anything, but we can notice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's beautiful. I don't need to know, but I can notice. Like I can see it. And sometimes like I might ask it like, what what does it want me to know? What does it want to share with me? Yeah. And it might not be ready. And that's okay too. I can come to that invitation again later. I can look at a different part that is ready to share. Um there's yeah. no um, I forgot how you just worded it, but like we don't need to lock into any one thing ever. It's all about just curiosity and exploration. And so many of us have so little curiosity. And like, we almost have fear of our own bodies, right? Like I'm experiencing yeah. a pain that like, I, I need to know, but I don't also don't want to know. And like, there's this immediate fear response mm-hmm. uh, when we can also soften and be curious. Yeah. Yeah. The fear living in fear of our own bodies is really, it really is so present and, um, yeah. And again, like makes sense. Like, you know, I don't need to judge myself for having these, for having these feelings and reactions that have been kind of drilled into me, um, being in fear of an aging body, right. Especially as women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but being, a, yeah, being in fear of aches and pains and being in fear of getting sick and being in fear of the natural, you know, the natural effects of aging, all of it makes sense when you start to look at the ways that we privilege young, able-bodied, beautiful bodies and how when you are in a young able-bodied socially considered beautiful body the world treats you differently than when you're not yeah right and so I don't have to blame myself for being attached to these um for being attached or in fear of these changes uh when I can just I but it does help me to notice it and be like okay like I remember when I turned 40 I was kind of surprised by how 
much it rocked me a little bit where yeah. I was just like, yeah. you know, like leading up to it, I was just like, I'm not going to be bothered by it. Like, you know, I don't, that's, that's great. It's Aging just a great. number. <laughs> yeah. And then I got closer and I was just like, Ooh, yikes. Whoa. This is really a big deal. Now I'm on the other side of it. I'm just like, no, it's actually really awesome. Being 40 is great, but, <laughs> but it was really interesting to me. And I, I really had to practice um, giving myself, like not blaming myself and being like, man, what's wrong with me? Like so, some feminist I am, like here I am, like, you know, getting upset about being older and instead be like, okay, you know, it makes sense to both like grieve, uh, you know, the passing of, of youth, kind of recognize that there are some avenues my life might've taken that, you know, that didn't take um, and like hold the space for both the joy at how my life looks. And also this idea that like, when I was younger, I thought it would look differently, like not having kids, for example, I feel really comfortable with that choice now. And with that, not, not pure choice. It's also like my, like a a choice of my body and also of my spirit, but, um, but it's, it doesn't mean that it's not that there isn't some grief that it wasn't different, you know? Yeah. Both can be true. Both can be true. And that's the thing, like when you were talking earlier about how some, how with people in your audience, it's like people are having these kind of paradoxical feelings around having an abortion, gratitude, and also grief. And also, you know, feeling like they did it for someone else. And now it's like, you know, all of these different feelings. Um, I think we, we do ourselves a disservice when we try and find a singular, a singular experience, right? Like, oh, I'm supposed to just feel this way when really most of our experiences, I find, I find that with the, with the rare exception of like the deepest grief, like when you're just truly like immediately thrust into an unexpected grief, I find that most emotions that I've experienced have are, are a cocktail of various different Yeah. Right. Sure. Like even like deep joys, like there's a, like yeah. a tinge of like, oh, this isn't yeah. going to last forever or like, you know, yeah. so this um, this feeling like, oh, I, it has to just be like, I'm only I'm not supposed to feel grief about this choice that I made as an empowered woman to to decide to not go through with a pregnancy. It's like, no, of course of course there can be grief there. Even if you really were clear that it wasn't something that you wanted. Right. Yeah. Of course there can be grief for, and then, and then when you go back through the lens of time and you're like, Oh, I would have made a different choice. Had I not made, had I been in a different place, of course there's grief for that. So again, we're, we're a culture that doesn't have a lot of experience with holding grief. And so there's like a lot of us are having to kind of learn as we go and there's not a lot of support for it. Right. We also like to know what are we grieving, which is very confusing yeah. around abortion because um, a lot of people will come to me very confused because I'm feeling this grief, but like, I know I didn't, <clears throat> sorry, I want a baby. Mm. And <clears throat> sorry, it takes a second to realize like what I'm grieving is like an identity change. I just went through mm. a loss of a lifestyle. Oh no, my dog got a squeaky toy. should have scanned the office for that one (laughs) (laughs) right but as humans the way we've been raised in western culture at least like we want there to be a thing that we're grieving and it's again Mm. it's like a cocktail it's mm-hmm. like it, it just because you're grieving doesn't mean you're grieving that pregnancy like a baby. It there's a lot of things you could be grieving. 
And all of it matters. All mm-hmm. of it matters. And all of it is um, coming back to, oh my gosh, it's so <laughs> loud to me. Can you, is it like super loud? To you? It's not very loud. No, right, we're just going to let the audience listen to the squeaky door. <laughs> it's, it's pretty sad. <laughs> um, any sort of attention you notice to grief is an opportunity to explore that cocktail. Mm-hmm. And all of that is can be very soothing and healing and um and bring you back to your wholeness, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um are there any particular again, I haven't read the book, it's not out yet. I don't have mm-hmm. an advanced copy. Is there any particular exercise in it or mm-hmm. something when you think about people who I'm so distracted by the squeaky toy. Um, Any particular exercise or activity that you think might be useful for someone who's been through the the reproductive loss of an abortion, even if it was something they they wanted and chose? Yeah, and actually there's a chapter. Maybe I'll do, I'll read a little section of it. Yeah, Um, I would love that. I would love that. So this is a chapter called For When the Heart is Breaking. Um, which I think might be helpful. So chapter eight, for when the heart is breaking. No somatic practice, no story of belonging held in the body will erase the truth and inevitability of loss and heartbreak. Loss is part of living. When it feels like the floor is about to fall out from under you, when it feels like you might be washed away with the intensity of your grief. It may be helpful to remember the breathing diaphragm, the primary muscle of the breath is right there, ready to hold your tender heart. When you inhale, the breathing diaphragm pulls the breath into the body by contracting and widening down away from the lungs. On the exhale, it domes upward toward the heart, a gentle mountain for the heart to rest on. With every breath, there it is, offering a place for your heart to land, no matter how brutal the world may be. It may also be helpful to know that the heart, this this miracle of shimmering muscle, is wrapped in a silvery sheath called the pericardium. The pericardium is multi-layered protection for the heart, made of a fibrous layer and a serous layer. The fibrous layer holds the heart in place, anchoring it to the sternum, the spine, and the breathing diaphragm. Even when life is unraveling at the seams, your heart is stitched into its home in the center of your chest. Lining the fibrous layer of the pericardium is the serous pericardium. The serous layer of the pericardium generates a serous fluid that offers protection and lubrication to the beating muscle of the heart called pericardial fluid. Pericardial fluid is made mostly of white blood cells, making it translucent. It protects the heart from infection while smoothing the movement of each heartbeat. Even in the turmoil of heartbreak, the body moves with a sustaining grace made possible by fluid the color of starlight. You've probably heard your heart described as a sort of pump, tireless and industrious, but you are so much more than a collection of parts you are certainly not a machine with a pump. The story of the heart as a tireless muscle is a story made for industry. 
Everything alive rests and your heart is alive. Each heartbeat is composed of action called systole and rest called diastole. The diastolic cycle of the heartbeat is longer than the systolic cycle. Your heart rests in every heartbeat and every heartbeat is more rest than action. The heart rests, you can rest. When the heart rests, the cardiac muscle cells rest completely. Unlike skeletal muscle cells, which relax to a certain degree, but will retain a degree of tone even when relaxed, which is why you can relax in your chair while listening to this without going completely limp. The cardiac muscle cells cycle through complete rest and then completes action. The heart rests completely when it rests. The heart, the, sorry, <laughs> the lungs wrap around the heart. The lungs themselves are unfolded in the pleura, another of the body's bilayer serous membranes. The space between the two layers of the pleura is filled with pleural fluid, another serous fluid, also composed mostly of white blood cells, also translucent, which allows the lungs to glide as they expand and condense with each breath. The pericardium wraps the heart, the pleura wraps the lungs, and both are innervated by the phrenic nerve, the primary nerve of respiration. Your heart is woven into your breath. No wonder heartbreak takes the breath away. The pericardium of the heart and the pleura of the lungs create fluid that is translucent, trans, Latin for across, beyond, through. Lucere, Latin for to shine. Each beat of your heart and each breath can glide because of fluid that lets the light shine through. The body is poetry made into muscle and blood. If you're ever feeling like you don't know who or what you can trust or where you can rest, you can let the breath all the way out. When you exhale all the way to empty, the big doming muscle of the breathing diaphragm rises up to meet your tender heart. Your heart gets to rest, wrapped in protection that glimmers like the moon. The widening of the lungs on the inhale and their condensing release on each exhale are eased by fluid the color of starlight. When you exhale completely, letting the lungs release all the way to empty, the pericardium gets to release ever so slightly, a soft resiliency that wraps your heart. This comes from allowing the breath to leave, which is different than forcing the breath out. When there's force, we lose softness, and this is a soft rest, a loving release. When you give yourself the time to let the breath all the way out, the undulating, doming muscle of the breathing diaphragm rises up to meet the heart, and the heart can rest. It can feel counterintuitive to think of the breathing diaphragm as moving down when the breath comes in and moving up when the breath goes out, especially because so many of us were taught to take deep breaths either by pushing the belly out or lifting the shoulders up. But this is how the breathing diaphragm moves, down on the inhale, up on the exhale. Sometimes it's called the bellows of the breath, but its undulations are more like a jellyfish in the ocean of the body. The jellyfish of the breathing diaphragm lets us breathe like we are made of water, like the oceans we are. And by giving our attention to the billowing motion of each breath, we can find support for these tender hearts, even when life is heartbreaking. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Some things I that came to me when you were reading is like, our hearts can feel broken, but they're also held. They're yeah. So whole. And there's this like 
there's this miracle inside Mm -hmm. of us taking care of us. And a lot of times that's like the very thing that we're craving after an abortion is to be held and taken care of Mm -hmm. and supported and to not feel like we're working so hard just to get through. And like all, everything we need is like happening inside of us, like Mm -hmm. without us doing anything to like, we're not, we're not having to prove ourselves to receive that. It's just like the miracle of what's happening inside your body. Mm. Um, And just that language of like the poetry. Oh, Lordy B, this dog. (laughs) (laughs) The poetry um, made of muscle and blood like that. Mm. To just be able to stop and reconnect to your body in that way is so peaceful and Mm -hmm. so calming and there's so much happening all at once but it's working together and it's working for you Mm -hmm. and outside our worlds it can feel like there's so much happening all at once and it's working against me and it's not working for me and to just know that like on the inside you're getting the balance of that like yes there's so much happening and it's working together and it's working for you yeah um the last thing that stuck out to me is um when you talked about the loving release in the, when you, when you moved into the lungs mm-hmm. and making that connection that sometimes our abortions can feel like not a loving release, mm-hmm. but to reframe that for ourselves and reconnect to what it feels like to have that loving mm-hmm. release mm-hmm. that can be something that we create for, for ourselves around our, our, both miscarriages and abortions yeah Um, that there is such a thing as a loving release there is such a thing as a release that's actually good for you yeah check out to me too thank you thank you thank you thank you anything else you came wanting to say or feel like someone listening wants to hear before you depart Mm. um I mean, I, I think a, a thing that I come home to a, often in my own work and um, and maybe might be helpful for someone processing the the grief of of an abortion or a miscarriage also, um, or just the complex realities of being in a body is that it's two things. Um, you know, that the body is is a, a source of incredible comfort, um, but perfection is a myth right? So the body gets things wrong sometimes, right? Mm. Like there's, it's not, you know, cancer happens, autoimmune diseases happen, miscarriages happen. Um, there's, you know, the idea that, that, and that, and that, that doesn't mean that we are somehow, you know, at war with our bodies or that we're somehow broken or wrong or any of these things that can, that are easy to, um, are easy traps to fall into, I mean, shoot, even women that have to, that have a baby and then it, it ends up being a C-section rather than a natural home birth. They have to, conf- they, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories that get told to us that our bodies aren't on our side and that somehow we're wrong, mm-hmm. but, um, but the body's imperfect, but the body is actually always reaching for life and doing it. The body is always trying to do its very best by us in whatever mm-hmm. way it can, even when it gets it wrong. And that, that, you know, 
an unpacking for me of, of this feeling like I have to be at war with my body that I have to Mm. um, dominate my body and like enforce, you know, willpower over it or, you know, that any signs of, of imperfection or a sign of weakness, all of that is um, those are just ideas that were um, placed upon us. So um, it might, I hope it can be some comfort to know that, you know, it's, we're not, we're, none of us are perfect and our bodies aren't perfect, but there's some, yeah, yeah. Our bodies are always on our side. Yeah. Because our bodies are us, right? Like we are our bodies. It's not like, I'm just like, I'm not Abigail living in a body. Like my body is me. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I know you didn't, well, actually I don't know. You didn't mean it this way, but like, um, on our side is like such it's just like language we use so naturally but like there are no sides in a body there are no sides in nature it's just like all working and sometimes it gets it wrong sometimes it gets it right um but the language you used of like at war with our bodies is very much something I'm glad you I'm glad you shared all that because um that's very much something people are feeling after their Mm -hmm. abortion stories it's like I feel like I'm at war with my body now Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just spoke so beautifully to that, that like, doesn't, you know, doesn't have to be perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. Nothing in nature is always getting it right. Mm -hmm. It's more like, well, how do we adapt after? Right. Yeah. And if there's no sides and there's no such thing as right or wrong also, you know, so that very, that limited binary idea of like, this has to go right. And that right is one single way. Yeah. It just takes us out of the, um, yeah, out of like the, the, the paradoxical and nuanced truth of what it means to be alive. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm so excited for people to read your book and for yeah, you to have the you. experience of it being out in the world. Yeah, um, what a massive project you've taken on and gifted to the world. Thank you. Um, yeah. Where do people find you? Pre-order your book. Um, mm-hmm. or listening after order. Yeah. Um, so uh, I am pretty active on Instagram. So people can find me there. And that's my mm-hmm. name, um, Abigail.Rose.Clark. And Clark has an E on the end. And then um, you can find links to order the book. You can find the book anywhere books are sold, but you can also find those links on my website, which is also my name, AbigailRoseClark.com. And then you'll be able to see everything else that I offer the I lead a, um, a, an ongoing weekly, uh, somatic community space called mm. anchor community. Uh, we meet every week. We have been for like five years now, which has mm. really just been so awesome. Um, people are welcome to join if they're interested, they can send a, a, a email letting me know of their interest. And then I, and then I or my assistant will reach out to them. And then, um, you know, I have like tarot and Oracle decks and all sorts of cool things like that on there too. And, uh, yeah, I love to hear from folks. So please reach out. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm glad to add this episode to the, the 2024 edition of the podcast. Thank you. Congratulations (laughs) on this project and on your own book. It's really, it's a huge thing. Thank you so much for, for doing it. Okay. Have an amazing end to your year this year. And thank you too. Beginning. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, 
rating and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.